Everyone, hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I am very excited to introduce my guest. She is someone whose content I watched so much of during the pandemic. And when I say during the pandemic, there's a part of me that's like, is it in the past tense now? Are we just, or are we all just acting like it? It feels like, it doesn't feel like there's any sort of finite end, but that's something I'll get into with her. And she's also someone who the listeners have been saying, please get her on, please get her on. And I thought, I don't know if I can. I don't know if she'd want to come on. And then because there's another podcast that we were both guests on, uh, Bananas Podcast, she contacted me and had something to say about egg whites which and cauliflower, which we'll get into. And then I seized the moment and I said, will you call my show? And now here we are. She is an infectious disease researcher and someone who answered a ton of your COVID questions during the pandemic, which again, is it going on now? Is it uh, completely in the rear view? Who knows? Uh, and she really became like a science data infectious disease nerd superstar during that time. Please put your hands together for Laurel Bristow. Hello. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. How do you feel about what I just said? Because as I said, like science disease nerd superstar, I was like, I don't know if you if you want to be called that. Yeah, no, I think that that's fair. I think it's pretty funny uh, to have had the experience I've had for the last three years where I've become... Instagram famous for mm. science. It's not really something that I ever expected to have <laughs> happen in my lifetime. So right. it's uh, I wear it with pride, I think. Okay. And your Instagram handle used to be King Gutter Baby. Is that a bowling sure reference? sure did. Is it a what reference? A bowling reference? No, people think that. That's actually funny. Um, it is a loose Bob's Burgers reference. There is a oh. raccoon named Little King Trash Mouth. Okay. And that's what I wanted and it wasn't available. So that was the closest approximation. Uh, back when I picked my Instagram handles with the uh, explicit desire to never be found by anyone I work with. Right. And the joke is on me now because Sanjay Gupta has said King Gutter Baby on his <laughs> podcast before. That's amazing. So one of the regulars on my group show is a woman, Wendy Molyneux, and she and her sister write on Bob's Burgers. Uh, and I'll have to tell her about this because she'll be so excited oh, to hear so this. That's so funny. Yeah, that's it's exactly where it came from. I right. wanted to be that little raccoon that was eating taco meat out of a coffee filter. Got it. Tony Thaxton, hello. Hi. I would be not doing my job at all if I didn't let everyone know that you're wearing glasses today and you look totally different. <laughs> yep. You're welcome for getting this episode to go viral. Yeah. Uh, you didn't warn me. I just logged on to Zoom. And yes, we are doing Zoom. Yeah, yeah. I just logged on to Zoom. And there you were just completely incognito. Just living my life. That's yeah. What's what's the story? Do you not do contacts when it's raining? Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's not an exciting answer. Uh, it's just that uh, it it 
uh, they were kind of bothering me a little bit. And mm. I realized, oh, yeah, I'm actually supposed to change them today anyway. So I took them out because they were bothering me. And I'll just put some fresh in tomorrow. Aren't you glad you asked? Not really. But Laurel, do you wear contacts or anything? I don't. I do wear glasses during the week. But when I don't, like at work and stuff, but when I don't wear glasses, I have 20-20 vision I have a lazy eye. I was an eye patch kid growing up. So really the only repercussion for me not wearing my glasses for extended periods of time is I start to get a little cross-eyed. So I can can go without for a while, not forever, but... Right. Okay. Because I don't... I I have now started needing reading glasses, um, but I don't wear glasses. I've never worn contacts or anything. So when Tony said he remembered that today's the day he's supposed to change them, that struck fear into me. How long are you going, Tony, with, without changing them? Uh, well, I have disposable ones. You're supposed to wear them like two to three weeks. So Really? Oh, I see. No, you, you take them out at night, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not supposed oh. to say, okay, I thought right. you were just like leaving it in like no, a no, 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 ring, no. and I was like, I don't think that's how that's supposed to work. No, no. that's what I they thought, come too. Out, they come out every night, but yeah, you're just supposed to take change them every couple weeks. Speaking of Nuvaring, I could, I, ne- I could never get that into that. I never, I don't think I really gave it a chance, but I just was like, I have an awareness, but it's a mental awareness of a thing in there all the time. Yeah, I never tried it. It just seemed suspect to me. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe. I mean, I don't know. I couldn't believe that it would not be annoying. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I really didn't. I didn't feel it, but I knew it was there. And I was always worried that when I was on the toilet, that it was just kind of like. Bloop. Um, and that but <laughs> uh, I will say, um, oh, you know, <laughs> I I must I I'm just gonna be transparent. I just got a little chat message from Laurel saying I forgot to ask your swear policy. I'm trying to be polite. I know, I know, but I realized that I put a thumbs up to let you know it's cool to swear. Oh, and there, first of all, like there's no way that that's. That I thought you, you were know just that, like thumbs up. For I know that's great. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know it was a it was a weird gesture. There's no way it would communicate that. And then also we're recording this, so I'm realizing people who are watching this. <laughs> Later, when it goes up, youtube.com slash house and rose are going to be like, they're definitely going to see that. So that's why, yes, you can say whatever you want. Okay. Um, I was on a I, friend's podcast and they bleeped out swears. And so then oh. I was left with the internal struggle of do I just make his editing life hell and like <laughs> let loose? Right. Or should I be like a good friend and abide by the rules? I think I let a couple off just to keep it spicy, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't you intentionally not- trying to destroy his podcast. You were in a gutter baby mouth, gutter baby I, mouth. No, I held, I held yeah. it in. Okay. No, you can say whatever you would like. Um, anyway, just to wrap up this maneuvering story, even though I know that everyone is uh, on the edge of their seat. When I did get the maneuvering, though, it came in like a promotional little makeup bag. It wasn't a, it's a, not a makeup bag. It's like a little maneuvering bag. And I still, this was years ago and I still use it. So I did get something out of the experience. Promotional reusable bags are, I have a whole, I have a promotional reusable bag that's filled with other promotional reusable bags because I can't bring myself to throw them away. And then I have these little like zip pouches. Yes. I, are you someone who tends to uh, hang on to things for too long? Yes. Way too long. And then I'll have a moment where I'm like, why am I hanging on to all this stuff? And Mm -hmm. I'll purge too far. So it's like, one extreme or the other, because then you end up being like, well, why did I throw all of that away? I need that now. 
like what are some kind of things because i definitely am on the uh clutter hanging like i can't have so much trouble making the when it comes down to like sitting down and going through the piles of stuff i just can't make all the decisions it feels painful so i just don't and then i mean i'm not a hoarder but like i tend i would i yeah i could easily be so anyway what are some things that you've gotten rid of that you wish you still had uh, well i feel like it always happens that you like have socks that you've never seen the pair for for like yes. years and then as soon as you throw it away it shows up mm-hmm. that's really frustrating or just like clothes like i'll be like i don't why do i own this many clothes i don't need this many clothes so you donate or sell and then immediately the next weekend you're like damn that shirt would be really good to wear yes. to this yes. thing right now why did i do that there was one time in my life that i did not overpack um we were going to San Diego. With, uh, it was me, my mom, and my sister. We were going to San Diego, and I got there, and I was like, I really want to wear my purple blouse. It would look great with these leggings. <laughs> it was that time. Um, and uh, I couldn't find it because I, I hadn't brought it with me. And I was so grief-stricken, and uh, I'm not overstating it. No, I was like very sad that I didn't have this shirt. And from then on, I decided I'm always going to bring whatever I think I might want to have with me, which is a terrible policy. Yeah, I moved to London for grad school and I had two huge suitcases because I was moving for a whole year over there. And I get I get my apartment, I get where I'm living and I unpack and I was just like, what the fuck did I put in these suitcases? Because it wasn't clothing. Right. Like I, it was like immediately like I had nothing to wear. And it was like, what did I like framed pictures of my family? Is that what I thought I was going to dress in or something? So <laughs> how was being in London? Oh, it was great. London when you're 23 is phenomenal and deeply dangerous. And I don't know how I passed grad school because mm-hmm. I'm not I was not a huge partier. And yet there were still nights where it was like, oh, I can take the tube home because it's running again because it's 6 a.m. Whoops. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say deeply dangerous, do you mean in terms of how, – how do you mean it? Oh, I just mean it's because you can have too much fun. You yes. can just party your little face off. There's always something happening all night long. And so you have to be really good about uh, man- time management, mm-hmm. especially yes. when you're in a graduate program that you're paying a lot of money for. Right. Yes. But I, I did it. In, you did I it. You it did through. it. Good for you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> this was a graduate program through which school? Uh, I went to the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, which is a real respected school and not a made up school, which is what people (laughs) often think when I say that I went there. I think because the word hygiene is in it, Mm -hmm. um, but it is an extremely old school that was uh, established basically to treat the colonial peoples as they came back from colonizing places in Africa with new strange ailments Mm -hmm. um, and now is dedicated to trying to fix the health inequities that have resulted from that colonialism. So they really had like ensured job security throughout the ages. (laughs) Right. They created they created the need. They they created the problem to solve. Yes. Exactly. Um what about that school appealed to you? Um, it was a year long master's program as opposed to the United States, which the MPH programs are two years. Uh, the loans that I took out for tuition and cost of living were less than what tuition for a school in the U.S. would be. And it was like, I describe it like a vocational school for public health. You know, I feel like programs in the U.S. are a lot of like group projects and theory, which I couldn't stand. 
Uh, and this program was like hands-on practical. You're getting taught by people who are experts in their field. And then they paid for us to do like a thesis project abroad, even more abroad mm. than I already was in uh, London. So I actually ended up going to Zanzibar for two months and working in hospitals there to do my thesis project, which was great when somebody else is paying for it. What if when they paid for you to go to abroad, they just sent you to like Chicago? That would be funny if they sent me back to the US. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, there were people in my class who their projects were like in London and I didn't mm. understand why you would just stay. Right. But right. How was Zanzibar? Zanzibar is amazing. It's just tropical paradise. It was beautiful. So, okay. I know you're in the Atlanta area now. Where did you grow up? I'm from California. I'm from the Bay Area. Oh, I was born in Oakland, but I grew up in Southern California. But yes. Oh, that's funny. I was also born in Oakland. What hospital were you born at? Uh, Provident. Me too. (gasps) Oh my gosh. That hospital doesn't even exist anymore. So that's a big deal. Does it not? It does not. What happened to it? You know, just whatever. All debates is all there is now. Is it Providence or Provident? I think it's Providence. I've always said Providence when I talk about it. That sounds right. Uh, And then I know there's pictures of my dad pushing me in a swing that was like on Lake Merritt, maybe? Yeah, probably. um, That's funny. There you go. And you grew up there. Yeah, not in Oakland, but uh, Mm -hmm. in Walnut Creek. Got it. And then where did you go for undergrad? For undergrad, I went to UC San Diego. The pl- did you see my purple shirt? Because it wasn't anywhere down there. I had left it. Um, and then, okay, so you for, you went to UC San Diego and then straight from there to London? I took a year off in between undergrad and grad school and I lived back at home in Walnut Creek and I worked the worst job of my entire life while I was applying to grad school. I worked for, I worked the front desk at a pain management clinic Okay, that will remain nameless, but was a horrifying place to work. Um, they wanted to save money. So they tried to get us to do the urinalysis, urinalysis test uh, with one glove. Like they wanted oh, me wow. to do people's urine tests with like tongs and one glove. Uh, we would have to go to a different location on Tuesdays. Like he, the doctor split his time. Mm-hmm. And so on Monday night, I would pack up my, the trunk of my car with all the stuff that the charts that we needed for people who we were seeing the next day and signed prescription pads oh that's like blank checks yeah deeply illegal Mm -hmm. (laughs) and if i was a bad badder person i'd be a richer person right now yeah yeah did i imagine you must have seen a lot of um well what, what was the clientele like um so it's pain management so like people who have chronic pain for the most part um which is really kind of heartbreaking because Mm -hmm. There are people who get up to the highest possible dose that you can give. And he just goes, well, I guess you have to go to rehab now, like oh like drug rehab because they're yeah. so dependent and there's nothing stronger to give them. It was it was a real eye opening experience into uh, the grossness of pharmaceutical yeah. world. Yeah. So have you always been interested in science? Um, yeah, but in undergrad, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Like I thought for sure that I was going to be a shark biologist. That's like what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did study abroad in Cape Town, South Africa, specifically because I wanted to, um, like see the great white sharks that jump out of the water mm-hmm. that you, you would see on planet earth. Uh, and I got there and I saw the impact of HIV in the country, um, and switched and decided that 
you know, something with public health or something with infectious diseases, what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And was that uh, a relatively easy switch? It's like Scholastic? Yeah, I actually, I managed to switch my like majors without delaying graduation, which was great. And then, you know, worked, worked in quote, 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 healthcare for a year at this doctor's office while I was applying to grad school and then went to grad school. Mm -hmm. And did you ever think of going, I mean, I guess you, you work, is it accurate to say you work in healthcare now? Yes. Did you consider becoming a practitioner, like becoming a doctor? Yeah, I have thought about that off and on pretty, pretty much throughout my entire career. I thought about being a nurse. I thought about being a doctor. Uh, I thought about being an NP. Um, I just like making money and not being in school and in debt <laughs> right mm-hmm. now. So, I mean, the, the COVID pandemic really like was a wild trajectory for me because I was really unhappy with my job before it happened. And then mm-hmm. having this sense of purpose and having this work really changed things for me, which was incredible. But also within that, like working with the, you know, pulmonary critical care doctors in the ICU for a minute, I did also think like, oh, God, should I go back and become a doctor? Like, it's so amazing what they are doing in this situation. So it's definitely something that goes back and forth, but it's just it's so much time and it's so much school. And I don't know. I mean, I wonder if one day I'll need to go back and do a PhD just for career advancement for Mm -hmm. the glass ceiling there. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Do you love statistics and data and research? I like data and research. I Biostats has never been my strength. Like I can understand, you know, confidence intervals and that I can understand it when I read it in in papers, but having to do like a Biostats analysis is something that I think would be really stressful to me. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that when we do research, there's, you know, we have a biostatician who does all of that for us, thankfully. But yeah, I mean, I love I love research. I love looking at how studies were done. I love thinking about how studies could be done better um, and how we design those studies. It's like the stuff that people comes up with is so creative and incredible. It's like really a joy to work in research and see kind of the brilliance that other people possess for how they think about problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um so now you used the past tense. So is the pandemic, is the COVID pandemic over? Where, how, how do you answer that? Or how do so, you think about it? Yeah. So, I mean, the pandemic certainly isn't over, right? Because pandemic is on a global level. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many countries that don't have the resources that we have. Now, for the United States, I would also say that it's not over. I think, you know, a lot of, I feel like I've spent a lot of time in my work on, you know, Instagram education, explaining to people that like endemic doesn't always mean like everything's fine. It just means it's at a constant level. And right now our constant level is like probably too high Mm -hmm. for what we want. I mean, there are things that I would want to, COVID's never going away, but there are things that I would want to have and to have happen before I'm like, okay with the level of COVID that we have right now. Um, Having said that, the Biden administration has decided to end the health emergency in May. Um, So they like for, you know, whatever legal or policy purposes, Hmm. the pandemic for the United States is going to be over in May. But unfortunately, what that means, and I don't know, I'm honestly, I work in TB right now, so I'm not as up to date on COVID stuff. So Mm -hmm. apologies if he has changed it, but I doubt he has changed it. Um, What that means is that a lot of stuff that was 
covered for low income people or for the average Joe is now going to cost money, um, oh. which is extremely unfortunate. Is the vaccine going to cost money? Do you know? um, so there was talk about that. Moderna was developed under Operation Warp Speed, which means that uh, U.S. taxpayers funded a, the vast majority of that development. Mm. And they had said that they were going to raise prices and everyone rightly freaked out because we paid for it. So we shouldn't have to pay for it again. And they backed off and they're not going to do that. Pfizer, on the other hand, um, is not under any obligation because they didn't take money from Project Warp Speed. Mm. Um, so I think that they will probably increase their prices. But that all kind of depends. I mean, really, for people who have insurance, it will probably mostly be covered by your insurance. Um, for uninsured people, I think it or underinsured people, I think it's going to be more of a cost. And then that's going to be prohibitive of them getting updated boosters and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So you said endemic, which I feel like I have an understanding of what that means. But does that just mean it's just something that we live with? Like, what does endemic mean? Yeah, endemic means it just li- it's just within the community um, at pretty constant levels, right? Like an epidemic is when you see more cases of something than you expect to see. Pandemic is when you see more cases of something than you expect to see on a global level. Mm-hmm. So you can have local epidemics, you have global pandemics, and then endemic is just like, this is the level that it's at. And it doesn't mean that that level is low. Like there are certain things like um, tuberculosis is endemic and mm-hmm. it kills a million and a half people a year. Um, the plague is endemic in certain countries. And it might mean that that's, you know, there's tens or hundreds of cases a year, but that's still endemic. It still exists. So it just kind of depends on the context. Can something be endemic and then be eradicated? Yeah. I mean, sometimes, so it used to be that, um, what, uh, guinea worm, is close to being eradicated. It, we have gone from, you know, thousands of cases every year to I think there were like 17 cases last year worldwide. Oh, wow. So yeah, I mean, that's eradication only happens really over time with stuff that is endemic. Polio um, has been eradicated. I always get eradicated and eliminated confused. Oh. But it's one of the two in all but three countries, you know, so mm-hmm. things like that we do. It happens over time. But yeah, something that's endemic can definitely be eradicated or eliminated. What are your thoughts about where COVID came from? So the majority of the evidence is that COVID is zoonotic. And I believe more than anything that COVID is zoonotic Mm -hmm. and not a lab leak. There are a lot of reasons like within the actual science of COVID that I believe that it's zoonotic and not a lab leak. But also just when you like think about it, like, yeah, there are labs that study pathogens. But do you really think it's more likely that all of the security that are in Hmm. these BSL-3 labs failed for this thing to get out? Or that when you're having constant, like completely unregulated human contact with animals, that something might transmit? Right. You know? So I, yeah, I do my, my full, my full body is behind zoonotic. I understand why people are really committed to lab leak theories. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to remember that like, A, people want someone to blame because this was such and continues to be such a horribly upsetting, overwhelming, life changing situation for everyone in the country um, and in the world. And at the same time, if you say, oh, it's a lab leak, then you don't have to do all the stuff that we're telling people to do to avoid another zoonotic pandemic, right? Like you say, oh, well, Which we're is just like a- get- 
like climate change stuff, right? Yeah, it's like climate change. It's like having a preparedness plan. It's like having a budget for people to be actively looking for this kind of stuff. You can just say, oh, no, what we need is to punish these labs uh, so that they know not to do it again. Right. And that really just leaves you open to being vulnerable for another pandemic. And am I right that the reason that they're studying these specific pathogens at the labs is because these kinds because of, of the pandemic things. potential. Yeah. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So it's kind exactly. of like a chickeny egg kind of thing. Not yeah, exactly, but. exactly. Um, you know, yeah. So like, I thought that they had de- come. I think they did come out and say we have determined to whatever extent they could. It is. It was from the wet market. But then recently, the news shifted, and the what energy department or I don't know who came out and said, um. We're not. I, I don't know exactly what they said. So someone look it up. But like we're uh, we're not sure. Or like maybe there it, maybe it could have been a lab leak. Um, yeah. And what surprised me though is that someone that I follow on Instagram who I who is not right wing at all um, and not a conspiracy theorist uh, seem seem to really be putting a lot of weight behind that theory. And so I'm like, oh, well, maybe there is something to this. So I don't know. Yeah. So the thing about the energy department's report um, is that they came out saying, you know, we have this strong evidence. We have reason to believe that it came from a lab leak, whatever, whatever. Um, that report is not public. So they've not shown anybody mm-hmm. in the public what their evidence is. And mm-hmm. every other department who's had access to the report has said this is zero evidence. Like this is nothing. So it sounds really intense and really official because it's mm-hmm. like from an official department's review of whatever, but they're not sharing any evidence with anyone for outside review. And anyone who has seen it, who's not in the department that wrote it, is saying like, this is a pile of nothing. So, But also, and this might reveal my lack of understanding of government departments, but I don't, why, why is the energy department researching it? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not totally sure why the energy department (laughs) is researching it. Um, You know, I think everybody is real into it uh, Mm -hmm. right now. But yeah, that's another good question. I mean, it could be that like, you know, the energy department has subcontracts with the lab. And this is all just me spitballing. It could be they have subcontracts with the lab for whatever, whatever. And so they have a right to look into any potential wrongdoing or misappropriation of funds or whatever. And through that, they found what they consider to be evidence, but Mm -hmm. nobody else considers it to be evidence at this point, at least. Uh, What about sharks appealed to you? Because like for me, I would not want to be near a shark because they scare me. Yeah, it's funny because Jaws is my favorite movie, which you would think would turn someone off of sharks. Um, But I think... Yeah, I just think they're so cool. They're dinosaurs. They're just, they swim around and they're big and scary and misunderstood. And there's such a wide variety of them. You don't even realize how crazy sharks can get. Have you ever seen a goblin shark? I've never heard of a goblin shark. Look it up. Those guys are wild. Okay, I'm going to do it. (laughs) There's also like a cookie cutter shark, which is a very tiny little shark. And they swim up really fast from the deep. And they just take a perfect like cookie cutter chunk out of the side of giant tuna. Like when they catch giant tuna for the fish market, they'll just be like a perfect cookie cut out of it. And I honestly, I like respect a shark that just keeps its food source alive for as long as possible. They're just taking a little nibble and then moving on. (laughs) That is so gross. But I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Um, How does this hurt the tuna, do you think? I don't know. I don't know how many like 
nerve receptors tunas have right actually it's a really good question right or if they're just kind of unbothered if it's like getting a mosquito bite yes right because you said they're tiny and they might be they're, i mean yeah so. i'd say you know they're the bite is probably the size the size of a cookie your standard chips ahoy cookie is kind mm-hmm. of what they're taking out of the side of a tuna sure. that is like gigantic those like eight foot tunas six foot tunas i'm also like fascinated by the people who named that shark I think they I think I, I think they started seeing the bites on the tuna and yeah. they thought, what is this? And then they right. realized it was a shark and they were like, well, there you go. Because it also could have been like ice cream scooper shark. Yeah, true. OK, goblin shark is what I'm looking up. Goblin. D- don't tell me you weren't also thinking the same thing, Tony. Goblin shark. <laughs> I wasn't thinking. The oh. Same thing. <laughs> they have like a real gummy smile. <laughs> they just yeah, I think they got a video of them eating, like hunting for the first time. And it's like. Their mouth like kind of shoots out yeah. of there. They're like, they're crazy. The goblin shark is a rare species of deep sea shark, sometimes called a living fossil. It is the only extant representative of the family Mitsu, mm-hmm, a lineage mm-hmm. some 125 million. That's weird. The audio cut out. A lineage some 125 million years old. Okay. So you said they're like living dinosaurs and this is saying they're fossils. Uh, is what, what what exactly does that mean? Is it just because they've been around for so long? Yeah, like there's there's you know types of sharks that look now like they looked then. You know, they just like right. have persistent. They like they really perfected whatever they needed to survive, and then just stayed the course. Is it true? And now, if this is not true, this is going to be embarrassing that I'm saying this. But is it true that sharks can essentially like live forever? unless something else attacks them, like they don't die of diseases? I have not heard that. I think okay. you're but, thinking of lobsters. I've heard that no, about lobsters. Really? Lobsters can live for a really long time, yeah. I think because don't sharks are like all cartilage, right? They don't have bones? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a shark expert, so I right. can't answer all these questions. I know this is like a sliding door thing. Yeah, I yeah. changed trajectories. Yeah. Um. You know who we should get on the podcast to answer these questions, Tony. And if his name doesn't come to me, this is uh, this is this is such a ter- this is a this is a joke that's going nowhere. Who hosted Who Charted with Kulop? Howard Kramer. Yes, because he always talks about how much he likes Jaws. Yeah, he does love Jaws. Yeah, I love Jaws. So, as we already discussed during the pandemic that is now endemic, um. You became uh, a, a social media superstar. How did that all happen and how did that feel? Uh, yeah, it felt and still feels very weird. Um, I, yeah, I worked my job at the time. I was doing clinical research for a vaccine and treatment evaluation unit. I was in a hospital. Um, and so we realized that there was COVID in the hospital um, and Actually, I don't know if I've ever told this story before, but it's far enough away and I have a new job. So it's funny. So I'm going to do it. Um, We it was like the week that COVID was really starting to happen, which would have been like, you know, around March 10th or so of 2020. Um, We shut down all of our studies in the hospital because we knew that there was probably COVID in the hospital, but there were no tests yet. So we were like, well, we can't in good faith send people into rooms to talk to patients when we don't know what's going on for like voluntary research. So big stressful week. Um, 
I made like a little, I have like a little mirror selfie picture that I have like saved in my phone because it's so crazy to look back on it now where I put a story up on my private Instagram of 600 people. And I said, you know, work is paused right now. So I don't have anything going on. Let me know if you want me to make a video explaining what we know about COVID and what it means to flatten the curve. Um, since I have time, LOL, uh, <laughs> you know, I won't, I won't make this video if no one cares because to me, front facing talking Instagram videos are the most second, most boring thing after someone trying to like live stream a concert in 15 second increments, <laughs> which is crazy. Cause that's my life for the last three years. But, um, People asked me to do it. So I made a little video off the cuff um, and people asked me if I would make my profile public so they could tell other people to watch it. And that like it just never stopped. I think I got 500 people overnight, 2000 people through the weekend, and I just kept making videos and it kept growing and growing and growing. And the funny story that I don't think I've ever told on any of these podcasts is that like at the end of that week on Friday, you know, it had been so stressful COVID's happening. It's in the hospital. Like, what's going on? What is our plan? I was like, I want to turn my brain off. So I took an edible and I was like, I'm just going to like chill out. Um, And then I got a text message from the physician's assistant that I work with. No, it wasn't with her. It was from my boss. And it Mm -hmm. said, um, we like Kiefer and Andrew, who are two people that worked for me, we're in a room with someone who they have since determined is COVID positive and they were unmasked. Can you get on a group call oh God. Uh, with me, who's the head of my work, the vaccine and treatment evaluation unit, um, another doctor who I work with, who used to be the head of respiratory diseases for the CDC and the PA that I work with to try oh to God. figure out what we should do. This is like 20 minutes after I've taken the edible. So it hasn't hit yet, but I'm like, uh-huh. oh my God, I'm in trouble right now. Yeah. So we're on this like conference call with these people and it I can feel it hit and it, we're like trying to talk about what to do. And I just kept texting the PA who I worked with because I'm close with her. And I was like, am I screaming? Am I screaming <laughs> on the phone? Like, what do I do right now? And that, then I decided that no more edibles until, until things were calmed down because it was so, I don't, because I don't even do them that often. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is the worst experience of my life. Um, yeah. But yeah, we made it through that one. And then I think I was just in um, momentum mode. I think making videos while helpful for other people was also helpful for me to keep the darkness out because I was at the Mm. hospital, like looking back on it, I was doing 12 to 14 hour days, six days a week, and then coming home and like doing all these talks about these studies or these conspiracy theories or like these panicky things. It was just so much. I really don't know how I did it. And I think the only reason I did it is because in the moments when I, because I live by myself too. Mm. So it's like, at a hospital all day with people who are dying, coming home to a completely empty, quiet apartment. I was like, I need, I need to keep doing something. I just can't deal with this. So yeah, it turned out to be this crazy uh, experience where it was weirdly beneficial for me in the same way that it was beneficial for people who were freaking out about COVID and needed information. So Mm. not necessarily healthy, but a good symbiotic relationship. And then did you have a show on TikTok or TikTok. Yes, I did. They were trying to expand into like live shows on like a regular Mm. schedule. 
Um, and I think smartly they abandoned that and realized that was not it. But I did, I think it was five episodes where I worked with, I was working with now this, um, and we like set outlines for each of the show about what we were going to talk about. And so it'd be me talking for the first third of it and then trying to interview someone who was on TikTok's team Halo about a subject for COVID for a third of it, and then taking audience questions for a third of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really fun trying to explain to your parents how to hide the comments on TikTok lives because they <laughs> want to watch it, but I don't want them to see any of that. So that was that was an experience. I don't necessarily recommend. I don't think they do that anymore, but they gave us like an email for problems. So we'd be like in the middle of a live and they're like the guest wouldn't be able to join the live and we would oh, just yeah. have to like email. It was pretty funny. I yes. had, I think I had my phone set up like l resting on my laptop so that I could also have a G chat open with my, my production team. So I'm like trying to stay calm and talk and type little notes to them. Like I can't get this to work. And they're like, we're trying to email them and no one's answering. So, so that was a fun little experience in, in production. That sounds so stressful. And it's reminding me. So my show started as a streaming internet show. It was called Alice ah. Rose's New Best Friend when I lived in New York and I would do it once a week. It was, it was a three hour show and I would do it once a week. Um, and I think it was on Sunday, except recently I'm like, or was it Wednesday? But regardless, but a lot of the like segments that I would do on that show are now, I still, I do, now I do it as, the, as a podcast, which I have been doing since 2012. But anyway, um, when it was the streaming internet show, I was hired by this director to come out to LA and do my show from the premiere of a movie that he had no produce produced doesn't matter. But anyway, um, so like there was the whole premiere going on and then I was going to be like in the corner doing my show from the premiere and interviewing the various stars of the movie. It was exciting. It all sounded great. I think I got to fly business class. Um, so it's like the like the booth at MTV, like the VMAs or something where people like drop in and you're like, yes. oh, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have my laptop and I like go and I get set up and I cannot connect. I cannot connect. And I had like everyone knew. And when I say everyone, I, I don't even know how many people were like hanging on this. But, um, you know, OK, I'm going to go live at whatever, 4 p.m. or whatever. And then it's just like, OK, it's 4.05 410 like I cannot get I cannot connect at one point I remember getting like a spotty connection um and then someone came over it was my friend's friend came over and, and she was on her cell phone and I was and like that was like somehow drawing from my internet and I was like turn your phone off turn your phone I mean I was literally shaking oh, it, it was yeah such a nightmare like yeah trying to like kill time because the guest I'm supposed to interview like Can't connect. TikTok and didn't give me permission to add guests to live because I didn't have enough followers or something mm -hmm. and so like I can't get him on so I'm just trying to like stall while we try to get it's right so stressful yeah so why did you not want your parents to see the comments oh because it was just I mean I think I think because TikTok was advertising it um, for the first like episode, because they were like, look at this thing that we're doing, this new innovative approach or whatever. And I think anti-vaxxers got oh. wind of it. And so we're flooding it. So it was like every episode we figured out new keywords or emojis to put in the like blocked thing so right. that those comments don't show up. But the I little remember clown my one. dad being like, 
what is happening? I was like, just don't look at it. It's fine. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. What are your parents like? Um, my parents are great. My dad is a butcher, uh, retired butcher. I actually texted him a picture today. I went to, we have like a, you know, bespoke fancy little butcher shop in my neighborhood. And I got, I sent him a picture of the, um, what do you call it? The glass case, um, with everything. And the I display, knew, I guess. Yeah. Or, and I yeah. knew the second he got it, the first thing he was going to do was zoom in on the prices and make fun of them, <laughs> which he did. Cause you know, he's like been a butcher for 45 years and he was like, charging that much for dry aged steaks like that's <laughs> insane so that was fun um my mom is like a crazy athlete she like has done a couple ironman wow. races and stuff you know she's very with it so she i mean she understood the tiktok live but i think just the parents um intuition to like or the instinct to fight people yeah. who are saying mean things about your child she was like i want to kill him i was like well I can't. <laughs> they're probably 13 year old boys like it's fine <laughs> don't worry do you have siblings i do i have an older sister um and my sister and my mom live in the same town together uh with my sister's kids who mm-hmm. are uh oh gosh nine and seven now um and my brother-in-law Mm-hmm. So, so, oh, so go ahead. are are there other scientists in your family? Uh, my sister is a nurse pra- nurse practitioner. Okay, so we're kind of uh, complementary, and that was super nice during like the heaviest days of the pandemic because she works in a low income clinic. So it was like the two of us knew what kind of had similar experiences. Um, it, I am grateful every single day that I am a childless hag because having kids in the pandemic sounds like the absolute worst possible thing. So I've been really grateful that that has not been a thing that I've had to deal with. Um, and I felt really sorry for her because, you know, Amelia, the oldest has asthma. So it's like extra scary when your kid yeah. like has a comorbid condition that could that could um, hurt them even worse if they got COVID. But so far, my brother-in-law is the only one out of that family that has gotten COVID, which is kind of miraculous. Wow. Did you ever get it? I got it for the first time uh, as soon as I started my non-COVID job, (laughs) which is hilarious. Um, And a little bit embarrassing to be like, hi, I can't come to this first meeting that we have because I finally got COVID. But yeah, I was grateful. It was really, it was very mild. It just took me a really long time to turn negative, which was annoying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did all the negative comments affect you? Um, it's a really good question. I mean, the TikTok stuff didn't affect me because I was too busy, like, trying to do my thing to pay attention to those. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a for Instagram. I got really lucky that it just happened that my medium for Instagram was Instagram Stories because it meant that. Any like the majority of negative stuff that was happening was going to my DMs and no one else right. could see it, which was kind of nice to moderate that way. Um, and I once I made the decision to stop looking at my DMs really re- frequently, my mental health improved so much. Like, I think I just was so mad, like couldn't understand why people could be so cruel and so committed to being misinformed yeah. Um, and I'm like a very confrontational person. So I wanted to fight with everyone. So like teaching myself, it's like not worth it for these trolls was like a big, a big lesson. But yeah, I think, you know, I got, I got thick skin pretty quickly because of what I was doing. Do you think, cause I, I'm a very non-confrontational person. However, 
on Twitter and it's been a while, but occasionally I will get into it with someone. And then I have to stop myself and I go like, there's no way I'm going to change their mind. Yeah. But do you feel like you were ever able to change anyone's mind? So there are some people that like would message me stuff that I could genuinely tell that they like I because I talk about like anti-vax versus vaccine hesitant. I can tell mm-hmm. that there are some people that are scared and they want to be able to make the best choices for their family. And so I would try really hard to engage with them. Um, I think you can figure out pretty quickly when someone is like acting in bad faith and it's just mm-hmm. not not worth getting into it with them. But for the people that like are really sincerely like have questions and are scared or, you know, have just had just haven't had access to the right information for so long, like those people I'm happy to try and talk to. And it doesn't always work, but for some people it really does. And like that is really important to me to be able to uh, create a space where people feel comfortable, like asking me genuine questions. Mm-hmm. Have you always um, been or do you even consider yourself a performer? Performer feels wrong. A public speaker. Performer Um, slash public speaker. (laughs) Yeah, I was voted most likely to win an Oscar by my graduating class in high school. Look at that. (laughs) I made varsity letters in theater and academics. They offered those? Wow. My school did. Um, But yeah, so I think, you know, public speaking is something that I've I've always been okay with. Um, Mm -hmm. And I... It was surprising, though, to find out because, you know, I was doing this stuff and I was like, yeah, that's fine. You just like explain the science and it's okay. And I just had to have friends be like, no, you don't understand. Like, not everyone can do this. Like, some people are really bad at conveying information this way. So it just it's something that felt very natural and normal to me. Um, And so it's important for me to remember that it's not necessarily like that for everyone. At one point, did you want to be an actor when you grew up? I think when I was like really little. Mm-hmm. I wanted to. And then um, I think just like the, the yeah, you got to kill yourself for that kind of stuff. Like even in this, even in this um, like Instagram fame world, I made a very conscious decision to never make it like a source of like a main source of income for me because I just mm-hmm. don't care about hustling and grinding like that. I just want to live. I have my day job. And so I was very um, intentional that it was not going to be a source of income for me because then I can take a break whenever I want, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not pushed to do it. So yeah, I don't think acting was ever like a thing that really had a draw for me as like a rational adult. The right. only people who can see themselves as actors are people who can't see themselves doing anything else. And I respect that. And I can definitely see myself doing other things. So I'm cool. You said that during the the pandemic at the beginning when you were doing the videos, your job was 12 to 14 days and then you'd come home and make videos. So like in those 12 to 14 days at the hospital, mm-hmm. at, the, at the hospital, um, like what did your day look like? Yeah. So the reason that those days were so long, that was only in the pandemic be- or in the heavy days of the pandemic because in those early days, the only way like we had remdesivir was like the the drug that we were trying to figure Mm -hmm. out um, if it was effective or not. We had some reason to believe it was. And the only way that anyone could get that was through a clinical trial. So we felt really obligated Mm -hmm. to make sure that we had as much coverage in the hospital as humanly possible so that anybody who wanted it could get it, right? Like if you only work nine to five, then someone who gets admitted and is super sick after five, like could potentially be intubated before they have a chance to sign consent or whatever. So we were there like, for a lot of hours. Um, and so the days on that, uh, for that kind of stuff, you know, study, study starts, study stop, you have more than one study going on, whatever, but it's basically 
you have someone who's looking through everyone who has gotten admitted for COVID, you know, reading their charts, seeing if they're eligible based on whatever criteria the study has. Um, and then you get your consent and whatever you need and you go to the rooms and you suit up and you go into the room and you talk to them about the study and you see if they're interested, if they want to consent. Do they want to think about it? Do they want me to call any of their family to talk about it? Um, is there someone who you, you know, want to discuss this with? Do you want me to discuss it? You know, so making sure that they truly understand what's going on and then signing the consent and collecting, you know, the samples, the blood samples, the um, nasal swabs, the oral swabs, whatever we're doing. Um, and then you are doing data entry and randomizing them to, you know, placebo or drug, picking stuff up from the pharmacy you know, training the nurses on how we're going to give this IV injection or these pills or whatever. So it's a lot of back and forth. It's a lot of time in patient rooms. Um, it's a lot of like data entry, going through the chart, like ordering labs, putting the lab values in this, that, and the other. So I just spent a ton of time, you know, I was already on the hospital floor a lot talking to patients, but this was like a much more intense involved um, kind of intimate experience with patients and their families, especially because early on, no one could get into the hospital. They couldn't have any family. Um, and then, you know, nursing staff and the providers were so stretched so thin that like, we kind of took it upon ourselves to be the intermediary. So like getting people, you know, extension cords or iPads from their family or whatever they needed to like, be able to communicate in the hospital. Were you nervous at the beginning when you were interacting with COVID patients? That's a really good question. I wasn't because I live alone, you know, I just was by myself and I, my sense of duty to people, especially being in a unique position where it was like, I didn't have kids to take care for or be worried about leaving behind or anything like that. I like really felt like, all right, I am in a unique position where I can throw myself into this wholeheartedly. Um, so, and you know, I'm, I'm young and I have no comorbidities. So like, Early on, we didn't really know what was happening, but I felt statistically that my chances were better than other people's. And so because I had the ability to do that, I felt really obligated to put my body on the line like that and do it. Mm -hmm. So I imagine you saw a lot of people die. Yes. Uh, do you have do you feel you have trauma from that? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I was on a call today. We had a so the reason that I work for the TB group now is because one of the critical care pulmonary doctors that I basically was trauma bonded to through COVID because she was always in the ICU is also a TB researcher mm -hmm. and they had an opening in her position and I was ready to move on from what I was doing. So I ended up moving over there. So, um, you know, we, we work together now. She's part of the research group. And um, we had a call today with all the TB researchers on Zoom and everything. And she was talking about her career trajectory and how she got where she was. Um, and I was just in my head on the call, like thinking back to COVID and working with her and like seeing like how incredible of an experience it was to see her because she's, she's an attending. So she's a teacher to residents and what like a incredible loving teacher she is for someone in such like a stressful, scary position. And mm -hmm. I like got close to having to turn my camera off because I started like crying mm -hmm. because it's just the like COVID PTSD just sneaks up on you at really weird moments. Um, mm -hmm. We had a study that we did. We were looking at some drug to see, you know, if it would improve outcomes in people who were really sick. And you do all this data collection in the study and then it has to be analyzed and then it has to be accepted and then it has to be printed. So there can be a lag time 
And it got printed um, in a big journal. um, And the results were that it was, you know, there was no difference between that and a placebo. So it did nothing. And I, Mm. you know, which is fine, like it happens. But I like read that study and I just like burst into tears, like thinking about the time and what was happening when we were testing that. And also thinking about like doing all that work and like it, nothing coming from it. So it's just like really, it's a weird situation. Like there are, there are certain people um, who died who I think about like still probably daily. Um, and it's just one of those things that I'm just going to have to kind of live with forever. And so I really, at this point, especially in whatever is happening, we're starting to see some like COVID revisionism. Mm-hmm. Um, people talking about how like, oh, we took it too far. It wasn't that big a deal. And I just like, Heaven help anyone who tries to say that to my face at some point who didn't work in a hospital because I think I have a a lot of uh, COVID PTSD that's going to come out as aggression if somebody yeah. like tries it like that to have never lived it and to try to tell me what it was like is just we're going to find out how much I love confrontation if that ever happens. <laughs> I feel like that and maybe it's just because I spend too much time on Twitter, but like I feel like that revisionism is prevalent that thing of like now are you ready to admit you were wrong now you know what i mean and it's like people didn't know at the time like yeah yes everyone was we wiped down our groceries and we you know wiped down our mail but we didn't know yet how it was transmitted yeah i mean i think it's kind of ridiculous to like try to make people feel stupid for acting in good faith in an attempt to protect the people that they love like that's Right. ridiculous. So yeah, I think this next chapter of the way we talk about COVID is going to be particularly rough for a lot of people who took it very seriously or, you know, had uh, very involved experiences with it. So it's going to be important to look out for your mental health if you are one of one of these people, because there's going to be some fuck shit set <laughs> on the internet <laughs> for sure. What's, what I find weird is how is like my own I don't know if it's revisionism or adaptation I don't know what it is but it's like I took it very seriously because I have elderly parents with comorbidities um and also I just uh I'm I'm scared and it seemed like yeah this is a thing that uh is killing people left and right so let's not get it um so we took it I mean it's like I still haven't eaten indoors, actually, which I know, like, I think I I would be okay with it now. But like, I'm sort of like just starting to not wear a mask in different places and to like be social again. And, you know, I'm not not asking, like, not testing all the time and not asking my guests in person to test and things like that. But I sort of have this attitude now of like, well, if I get it, because we we ultimately all did get it around July 4th, my whole family, but like, and it sucked. <laughs> like it wasn't it wasn't particularly mild and it pretty much sucked. Um but uh or rather I mean it is clinically mild, but I was unco- I was pretty uncomfortable. But anyway, I do sort of feel like, well, if I get it again, oh well. And then I think, do I am I really that okay with potentially getting it again? I think that's just trying to like adapt to the reality though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the I always try to tell people like My goal with my education is to remind people, you know, 
not getting COVID is better than getting COVID, right? For a number of reasons, Mm -hmm. like the unpredictability of what your outcomes will be and just getting sick at all is not fun and everything. Um, But if you're going to get COVID, let's talk about like what your actual statistical risk of poor outcomes is, Right. right? Because it's unfortunate, but you know, we live in a world where there's a certain inevitability of a lot of different aspects of like COVID infections. Um, and so it's important to not um, try to, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to try to phrase, but to say like, to not try to avoid getting COVID with such intensity that it has even worse impacts on your mental health. Right. Yeah. Like making the impact on your mental health, so much worse than your actual statistical risk of mm. poor outcomes. So it's like, it's, I mean, everything in health is about risks and balances. And you just have mm. to, I want people to have the tools to be able to assess their own so that they can make the choices that make the most sense for them. Right. Question about clinical trials. Sure. Um, it seems to me from my tiny, tiny bit of what I've seen that when people are sick or have a disease, like they really want to get into a clinical trial um, and like to be accepted into a clinical trial. Again, there's I very small uh, data points, but like, um, you know, being accepted into a clinical trial is like a big deal. And I find myself sometimes thinking, wait, but isn't this, this is like experimental. What makes you so like, what, what am I trying to ask? I mean, I know what I'm trying to ask, but like, in my mind, it's like, this stuff is experimental. Why are you so okay with doing this experiment? Um, I, I, I'm trying to take it. I'm not trying to judge anything, though. I'm purely just curious about it. Yeah. So I think that there, there's, so it sounds to me like you're kind of asking about um, two different scenarios. So like, if someone has an illness, like that is debilitating their life, or is, you know, mm. potentially fatal or whatever, they're eager, they're very eager to get into a clinical trial, right? Because they feel like they are at their end for options. Um, so that kind of stuff is like really appealing to them. I mean, it's not always we had a lot of like, there are a lot of days where I was like, sprinting from my office to the ICU with a consent because it's someone I talked to yesterday who didn't feel they were sick enough. And now they're about to be intubated and they want to be in the study like right now, they need to sign Mm -hmm. the consent before they go under. So that thing changes. But then are you talking, are you thinking more about like vaccine clinical trials? Like when someone's not actually sick and they just want to. No, I was actually, I'm actually thinking about like cancer clinical, clinical trials. Yeah. So I think with those clinical trials, it's really, it's about um, like you've run out of options, right? You're, Mm. you can be in the clinical trial that may be good, like might save you, might give you more time, might be bad, but your alternative, if you're not in the clinical trial is just bad. Like you're just going to die. That's it. So it's like, you know, there's less there's, it's again, risks and balances. Like if you're perfectly healthy, you might be like, oh, this drug has toxicity. I don't know. That's like phase one Mm -hmm. trials is when we give stuff to, you know, healthy people to see what the side effects are. Um, But if you're at at the end of the road, if you have no other options, then like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? Like, try it. Maybe it'll save me. That's like why people want to get in there because it's their last, their last ditch hope. And then presumably half of those people are, are receiving a placebo 
Like are, are there um, always? It depends. Okay. So it depends on what the clinical trial is like for, because sometimes like the remdesivir clinical trial for COVID was um, remdesivir versus placebo. But uh, as we, you know, moved on to other treatments, remdesivir became like the standard of care. So it could be you're getting remdesivir or you're getting remdesivir and this other drug. I see. So like remdesivir and a placebo or remdesivir and this other drug. Because once you have something that you know, you know, it's like the standard of care, you can't not, you can't ethically cannot give someone less than that. Right. Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, so it's, it's called a non-inferiority trial. Basically you're trying to make sure you're trying to see if your thing works or is at least not worse than the standard of Mm -hmm. care. And do you, do you personally know, like, this person's getting the drug and this person's getting a placebo when it's no all of the studies that we did were um double blind so it means that the only person who knows what someone is getting is the um study pharmacist because you Uh, need someone to know in case they start having a bad drug reaction or like whatever to be like you pull them out of the study basically and then you unblind everyone so that you can uh, treat them appropriately mm -hmm. um but yeah we didn't none of us knew because you don't want to bias your results And then also I was thinking, because you'd have to have like a real good poker face. Yeah. Because if I were in there, if I were getting it, I'd be like, can't you like blink twice if it's the drug, you know? Well, it's also so hard because like there were people that, you know, we would see at follow-ups who would be like, oh my God, you saved my life. Like, I don't know how to thank you. This is so incredible. And you're like, I don't actually know if I gave you anything other than saline. Like, yeah. I mean, I'll take it, but I actually don't know if I saved your life. Like you could have just had a body that recovered on its own. Like, I don't know. Right. And also all the early ventilator, like now there's now COVID treatment does not involve being on a ventilator, right? Yeah. For the most part, it's crazy. So the same doctor that I worked with, who I work with now, we were talking about it and it's just like the COVID admissions are so different now than Mm -hmm. what they were. Like it used to cause, you know, acute respiratory distress, which is basically when your body shuts down and you need a ventilator. And she's like, it's nothing like that. It's causing like COPD exacerbations the same Mm -hmm. way, you know, as happens when you have like fluid overload and you just like treat that. And like, it is like COVID. I mean, I try to express like stress this to people like COVID is not the way it was right last year or two years ago. Um, you know, having said that, you know, I still want more resources for people who are suffering from long COVID. We want a better understanding of long COVID. We need a better understanding of how frequently it happens now um, with, you know, vaccination and everything. So there are certain things that I I want to have before I accept COVID as being like the new flu or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but we it's it's just such a different time now than it was before, like truly. Right. And thank God. There was I don't think I, I don't, I'm trying to think if I, if you, if I saw you like weigh in on this, I don't think so. Um, but d- didn't, didn't someone write in slate maybe, and this happened just in the last couple of days that like our understanding of long COVID is wrong, but like this person has been discredited. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you're talking okay. about. Then I, I wish then I did, did. Cause I love talking about discredited people. Do you remember what I'll, their argument was? That I think that maybe long COVID doesn't even exist or oh, it doesn't God. exist as as people are saying. I'm now talking out of my butt. That's my I, I mean, I know I, I, mean, I, like I would not be surprised if that was someone's argument. I remember mm-hmm. early in the pandemic, someone talking about how they were going to like talk about compare long COVID to chronic Lyme in terms of like 
make them ups or whatever. Mm. And it's just like, why would you do that? Like this early, like long COVID is real. And we're, we are gaining more understanding of what happens. I think, and I could go on about this for fucking hours. I think a huge problem with the way we've structured our healthcare system um, is that when something isn't immediately identifiable to have a root, um, patients get shuffled around to different experts who are like, well, it's not infectious disease. So I don't know. It's not endocrinology. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know. Um, And then you have these problems where uh, something that is real and exists, you know, like COVID or like Lyme disease, then just kind of gets sorry, long COVID or Lyme disease then gets slapped on someone who has like an unknown ailment because it makes, it makes people feel better to to be able to say I have to have a diagnosis. And it also attracts like grifters who are like, well, Mm -hmm. I can cure this thing. So I think it like, there's a, it's a really complex and nuanced series of issues with the way we've developed healthcare. Um, But the point is that like people are suffering and like deserve to be understood and examined and try to be helped is like all that I can really say about that. But I'm not surprised that someone's being a dickhead about (laughs) people faking long COVID or whatever, because there's always going to be people like that. Or as they say in England, a bell end. A bell end, yeah. I I just learned that. Very continental with my uh, insults. Um, Wait, would that be continental? If you say something's continental, does that include the UK? I think it means it comes with breakfast. (laughs) Right. I think, (laughs) right. It comes with a a bit of parsley and uh, an orange wedge. Okay. I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Rosen. All sorts of bonus materials, outtakes, behind the scenes content. You can get episodes of my Patreon podcast, The Friend Zone. Uh, I just put one up with Elizabeth Lame, who was the guest a couple weeks ago. She's delightful. And Jenna Kim Jones coming up um, to talk about her. She's pregnant again. Can you guys believe it? Anyway, um, and there's a level where you can text me and I'll text you back. Uh, and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. So patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. If you opt for an annual subscription, you get two months free. And also I take questions for my guests via Patreon and I have some questions for Laurel and we have a song. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. All right. Jamie says, oh, my God, woohoo. She was an amazing resource during the scariest days of the pandemic. And her Instagram helped assuage, assuage? Yeah, my greatest fears. I'd love to check in on her axolotl and see how the little baby is doing. Rose. Rose is good. She just hanging out in her tank and eating worms and just living the dream. What made you decide to get an axolotl? Oh, God. I saw it at, uh, like ad for Repticon. Like there was a reptile convention. I was like, that's funny. I have to go to that. So I got some (laughs) friends and we went to Repticon and I didn't know that you could have axolotls as pets, but it's Georgia. So you can do whatever you want here Mm -hmm. pretty much except for getting abortion. Um, But (laughs) so I saw they had them and I like have loved them. There was an axolotl at the Steinhardt Aquarium at the Cal Academy Mm -hmm. of Sciences who I would always go visit when I lived in San Francisco. And so I was like, I got to get an axolotl um and i got her home and i didn't realize that apparently these axolotls can live for like 10 years so how old is she now she must be about four now okay how little was she when you got her 
She was pretty little. Um, she's like she's like ballpark Frank sized mm-hmm. now, I think. Got it. And before she was, you know, cocktail wiener size, she was little, she was a little thing. I don't think I even knew what an axolotl was until I, was I started say, following I no, you. I don't know what it is. Look it up, Tony. They're so cute. It's A X O L O T L. Yeah. And I love them because they always look like they're smiling, except I think I got the only axolotl with like social oh, anxiety that's... disorder because she's always, she looks a little stressed out all the time. Mm. Does she like have a relationship with you? <laughs> Um, she likes when I come up to the tank because it means she's going to get a worm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so like, what's the what's ac- what's involved in caring for an axolotl? They're so easy once you get the like tank chemistry right, like the water. Mm-hmm. Um, you do like a ten percent water change once a week, so you just take out like you know a gallon out of the ten gallon tank and replace it with the fresh water. Um, you know, clean up any debris that's there, and then I feed her like a worm. Every day to every other day. So I think I spend $8 every eight weeks at the bait shop and get worms and they stay in my fridge. And yeah, she's super easy. That's so cute. How do you get the water out? Uh, with like a siphon into okay. a, a gallon jug. Like where you suck on the end? Well, no, you can use gravity with the siphon. So you don't have to like oh. suck up axolotl juice. But. My, so my dad had fish tanks and he would... Uh, Wait, you can anytime you can just use gravity because he would always mm-hmm. go. Pfft. He would like suck it to. He's to doing get it ultimate going. siphoning, I guess. But I do re- recall him being like, "Oh, like getting a mouthful sometimes." Okay, uh, let's see. Whitney C says, "Who are her top contacts in her phone?" Parentheses, pin text, favorite phone numbers, etc. However, she wants to an- answer. Oh, that's a good question. How do you, is does it like show you? I don't have anything pinned. I just, just recently, the only favorites I had were my, was my ex-boyfriend's phone number. Mm. And we broke up like eight years ago and I just never changed it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess he doesn't need to be my yeah your fave. favorite anymore. That's so interesting. This is making me want to see who my favorite. But yeah, I've never, I don't think I've ever pinned a text message before. Yeah, I didn't know you could do such a thing. Yeah. No, I didn't either. Okay. It's a good question for someone who uses that function. <laughs> so in my phone still, it's all like regular, I mean, people that deserve to be my favorites. But then I have my old landlord. I don't see myself calling her for any reason. And then also a listener of mine who I have not interacted with in a really long time, who was a veterinarian and I, we were traveling with our dog and I put her I put her in there as a, a favorite just like in case. I think I guess obviously I had her phone number. Um and uh I haven't talked to her in years. So okay. Uh let me find more questions. Tony, do you have any outdated faves? No, I don't even have faves. Like I don't even know what's the what is even the point? How do, how does one even do that? Um well the point I think would be in case you want to get to the number fast. Yeah, but can't, you can kind of do that anyways, can't you? Yeah, you just type like three letters yeah. and it comes up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It seems like kind of like a, an outdated thing at this point. Right. Yeah. No disrespect to the person who asked that. but <laughs> Tony, do you have your girlfriend's phone number memorized? No. 
Yeah. Daniel and I didn't for the longest time. Finally, we did because I was like, if our phones die, we're not going to be able to reach each other. I don't, but... think, I don't think I know a single phone number other than my own. Hmm. I want to change that. <laughs> I, I still know my the landline for the house I grew up in, but yeah, that's only because I use Same. it for every rewards phone number. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know those, good. but they're like no longer active. So, Yeah. Okay, Sam Randall says, yay, I just want to thank her. I started following early on when she just started posting about COVID. I shared her stuff and I learned so much. And even though I'm Australian, she really helped my fears and concerns with it all. And COVID come down was awesome. And the New Year's Live where she sang, ha ha, the best. How is her new job going? Uh, and has she been back to see the bird aviary lately? Oh, a lot of good questions. Yeah, this is a super fan. Someone is someone's dropping dropping notes that only the real ones would know. <laughs> um, new job is good. New job is busy. Um, but I like it. It's an emails job. I've never had a job where I just get so many emails per day before. <laughs> um, so that's a change, but it's nice. I miss patient interaction, though. Um, I think I saw the aviary a couple weeks ago. I think I maybe saw it around Valentine's Day. I think that was the decoration. The hospital, for people who don't know, the hospital I worked at, for some fucking reason, has two aviaries with birds in it that you can look at. And the woman, Terry, who takes care of them, um, also decorates very frequently. So every every holiday has its own batch of decorations. Um, So that I used to do. For the birds? Or like she decorates Mm -hmm. the aviary? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so she decorates. And there's like, you know, those stone geese in there. So they have costumes that they wear for each thing. Oh, my God. Um, So that became a really regular, a regular feature was checking in on how the aviary was um, decorated. I loved that. Yeah. Good. Thanks. Thanks for the questions. And lastly, Ulysses Atkins says, what science podcast does she listen to? And is This Week in Science one of them? I don't think I listen to any science podcasts. I'm sorry. No, that um, makes sense, though, because it's your day. Yeah, I just, you know, I want a little escapism. I got to turn my little noodle off sometimes. Yeah. Um, but if you want a good podcast, my favorite podcast, probably of all time, is Criminal by uh, Phoebe Judge. Because it is a true crime podcast that's not all murdery. It's much more interesting and less mm. violent. So. Got it. And she uh, lives in Durham, and she used to come into the bar that I worked at in Durham, North Carolina, and I would recognize her voice, and it was very exciting. Did you watch The Staircase? I did not. But you know what's funny is they filmed that in my Atlanta neighborhood because my Atlanta neighborhood looks like Durham. Oh. And I'm familiar with the story. I know. Right. Do you have an opinion about whether he did it or not? I think he did it. I think he did it. I want to believe that's an owl, but I think he did it. That's my feeling as well. So, like, what kind of TV shows are you into? a good question i did the last of us i did everything except the final episode i was a little like i can't i can't right now mm-hmm. um but the reboot of party down i have I've been delighted by so good jennifer garner is so delightful in that i'm they and they did such a good job like revamping that show and still keeping the exact same like tone and hilarity um i was a huge fan when it was on stars originally so those are probably my big ones Wonderful. I say, let's do Just Me or Everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? 
everyone. All right. Do you have a just me or everyone? Laurel. I do. Um, so I was trying, I was thinking really hard about this when you told me that this was something that I needed to prepare. Um, and I, my problem is that I, I think everything I do is completely normal and universal until I'm told mm-hmm. otherwise. So it's really hard to think about these, but I realize there's one from when I was younger that still occasionally comes up, which is if I'm really excited to go somewhere, like I'm going to an event or an activity or something, um, I, would and kind of still do get very stressed out that all of the traffic on the road is also going to the same event (laughs) and that it's going to be really crowded. It's going to be hard to get in. We're not going to find parking because everyone around us is also going where Mm -hmm. we are going. But sometimes that's true though, right? Like say you're, say you're near a Ren fair. Everyone's going to the Ren fair. Everyone is going to the Ren fair. So sometimes it's true, but sometimes it's not. Not. No. Um, trying to think if I do that maybe occasionally but it sounds yeah. like you do it more maybe right yeah or have done I think I do I'm I am okay. a look up parking before I go somewhere person so I get like parking stresses me out yeah you know, a lot or like uh, if you put your name down for a reservation at a place and they're like all right it'll be this long and you're the person you're with is like okay let's like walk around or like let's go get a coffee at this place I get super stressed out that they're gonna call our name when we're not there and it's gonna yes. just ruin everything Yes. Yes. I am the exact same way. This is actually one of these things. So if I know someone is coming to our door, even though we have a ring doorbell, uh, Tony, who comes to our door a lot, is going to be like, this has not been my experience of you, Allison. But not <laughs> not like Tony, who I see all the time, but, you know, unexpected, uh, the, the only one and only time they're coming or whatever. Um, I am like very nervous slash slash agitated to make sure that I hear the doorbell and that I go and I let them in and blah, 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 blah. Um, whereas like, if I say to my husband, you know, often it's like if someone's like a dog walker is coming or something. Um, Cause I just don't want someone to be stuck out there being like, I don't know how to reach them, even though they could reach me via the phone. I mean, I don't know. But if I say to Daniel, okay, you know, so-and-so is going to be here in 10 minutes. He'll like start listening to a podcast or put on his noise canceling ear. He's completely, it's, He's not at all concerned with jumping up when someone rings the door. It's weird. Or maybe I'm weird. I don't know. I feel like like if I know someone's coming over and they're going to like knock on the door or like ring the doorbell, I like I'm like up and I'm ready, but I'm like hiding. Yeah. Like I don't want them to know, like I'm ready to answer yeah. the door, but I I don't want them to know that I'm re- I have to yeah. like pretend right. like I'm being very casual even though it, I'm like It's like in the mm-hmm. old days, like you don't answer on the first ring. Yeah. You gotta be cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tony, what about you and traffic heading somewhere and thinking maybe they're going to the same place you are? Yeah, I definitely do that a lot. Uh, Maybe not every time, but there's, there's a lot of that going on. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and the same thing, I get really stressed about the, the traffic and or parking to the point that a lot of things, if it's like a huge things, uh, a huge thing, I'll just not go. Sometimes it gives you enough anxiety that I'm like, I'm just going to avoid this altogether. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have a, a segment to to drop into the middle of our other segments, which is yes, please, or oh, please. Uh, Laurel, this is self-explanatory. <clears throat> yeah, I think something. I it. Yeah, we're just going to say yes, please, or oh, please. Now, if it turns out that there's a history behind what I'm about to say, 
which justifies it, then I'm going to feel bad. But referring to a mental breakdown as a menti B. Does this come from like drag race or something? Does anyone have you even heard it? First of all, no, I'm going. I've never heard it. So I'm going with an O, please. Okay. I heard it three times today on Instagram and then TikTok. Three times today? Today. This is why. What was it? Menti B? Menti B. A Menti B. Steve, I've heard Nervy B. Oh, I heard that. Well, this is the cousin of that. Well, at Nervy B, I know I can pinpoint where it's from. It's if you have ever, if anyone has ever read the Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging books, which is an English oh. young adult book series. She talks about having Nervy Bs all the time. Do you like when she calls it that? It's charming because she's English. Right. The first time I heard it today... I was like, Minty B, what's that? Oh, haha, that's a cute way of referring to it. Then the second time, I was like, okay. And then the third time, I was like, I'm over this. I've had a whole roller coaster of emotions about it, and I personally am done with it, and now I want everyone to be done with it. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to be introduced to at once. I think that's a problem of like TikTok and social media is like a fun phrase gets introduced and then immediately gets like beaten to death. Right. Yes. So I'm giving it a hearty O, please. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Again, unless I find out that like, oh, yeah, that came from drag culture or so, like, I feel like there's justifications that are then going to make me feel bad that I uh, put it down. But anyway, Tony, are you going to defend it? Uh, no, I don't like it in this context. Like I said, I'd never heard it. Uh, but uh, but I generally and I think it's a little too much of a uh serious Cutie-ism? thing to give oh, uh, yeah. a cutesy name to because I, I do i do like and and often will give things uh names like that just but just yeah. trying to be silly but never you know usually not something the serious you know? right right on yeah. the show we talked about traditional jelly beans and you called them tdbs yeah exactly. tjbs yeah. tjbs yeah i like to have but- fun <laughs> <laughs> Tony's pretty fun. You can't tell because of his glasses. But okay. <laughs> Would you like uh, to tell anyone to go fuck themselves? Yes. Okay. So I don't know when this is going to come out. It, um, I'm not quite. It's either going to be Monday or the following Monday. Oh, that's nice. Well, um, it's March 21st right now when we're recording. March 24th is World TV Day. That I is like obviously a big event for me uh, mm-hmm. to prepare for as someone who works in TV research. So I'm going to give a fuck you to tuberculosis. Oh, that's I'm going to give a big fuck you to tuberculosis. Uh, number one infectious disease cause of death worldwide. Killed probably 1.6 million people last year. Um, real, real pain in the ass. Fuck you, TV. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. So to volunteer at my kid's school, you have to do something involving TB, um, either be tested or have a doctor say that you're not at risk or blah, blah, blah. Um, and TB is something that I am afraid of, but not like I, I hear it and I think, oh, yeah, that's bad. But I don't encounter I don't feel that I'm at risk. I don't encounter it very often, blah, blah, blah. Um, another mom had been in our house. And then left. And then I found out from my husband that she had tested positive for TB. And I was like, what? Uh, And he's like, yeah, but no, it's okay because she's been on 
they put her on antibiotics and blah, blah, blah. But I still was pretty freaked out by it. But I guess like you can be right. You can be positive for it, but not be contagious. Is that right? Yes. Your husband is correct. You do not need to panic. Um, yeah. It sounds like she probably had latent TB, which mm-hmm. is TB that exists in your body, but is not infectious to others. Um, and you just get treated for it to kill all the bacteria off. How does it decide when to become infectious? Is it? A, um, that's a good question. So it's just like over time. Some and it's it's like ten percent of people who have latent TB will develop um infection like active TB and it just depends. It could be you know a change in your immune system mm-hmm. that no longer suppresses the bacteria, or it could be just over time the bacteria overwhelms your immune system that's holding it at bay. Um, you know, trying to figure out what what puts people at risk for progressing to TB is like a big part of TB research. Um, but yeah, a lot of people you know will just have latent TB and either get treated or might never actually develop active TB. Mm-hmm. And does that mean that she was around someone with active or it could have been like latent to latent? No, it would have, she would have to have been around someone who had active TB because you can't pass latent TB on. Oh, right. Duh. That was the, that was <laughs> a very silly question, which I knew the answer to, but I asked in case someone from the audience was wondering, I didn't want them to feel stupid. You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Laurel, it was so nice to have you on the show. It was Thank so nice to be so, on so, the show. Thank you so, so much. Um, please tell everyone where they can find you. Plug anything you'd like to plug. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug caring about tuberculosis because uh, it's still a thing. And if you want, you can find me, Laurel2 underscores Bristow on Instagram. But I have slowed down the science content uh, considerably. I think I'm allowed to. Because I did some heavy lifting for a while. But if you want Pedro Pascal TikToks, I have got them for you. <laughs> You've been reposting them? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I'm not watching The Last of Us. I've walked, my husband is, I've walked in a few times and I've seen, you know, fungus growing out of people's mouths and I've said, yuck. I think that's me. fine. I think it's fair. Yeah. But I mean, I, I f- hear that I'm missing like the best TV of my lifetime. It's fine. Tony, what about you? Plugs or am I watching The Last of Us? <laughs> Plugs. Was, okay. I wasn't sure what the question was. <laughs> uh, I always plug the same stuff, but I'll, I'll plug my glasses since you seem to can't stop talking about them. So there. I can't there stop. They're arresting. Go. Yep. I sometimes wear glasses. There you go. Well, aren't you going to tell us like where people can get them if they want to get those glasses? Uh, Ray-Ban or, oh, or look Target. At that. <laughs> <laughs> you bought Ray-Bans at Target? Yeah. There's a they have Target Optical, and I just I went there. No, yeah, I, I think you just plugged Target. I had yeah, no idea. Right. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. Follow the show's Twitter feed at ARIYNBF. That's also where you can submit your just me or everyone's. Uh, and I am on TikTok, kinda the Allison Rosen on TikTok. And if you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, please make sure you're subscribed. You can listen to us wherever you get. Po- Why am I I'm telling this to people who are probably already like subscribed or are listening to it in, you know, but they could also be watching on YouTube.com slash Allison Rosen. Subscribe everywhere and leave us a nice comment, review, five stars, etc. everywhere. Uh, and uh, my new podcast with Todd Perry, which is going to be Patreon only. Only one level, $2 a month. That is premiering like any second. So... If you want that, patreon.com slash Allison and Todd. 
Okay. Thank you so much, Laurel. This was delightful. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? 